Blog Talk Radio. I know we're on live today. I know. We took a couple of day, a couple of weeks and you know that's we're sorry about that. But you know what, here we go. Getting my flash up here so that way we can give you guys connection. This is the next face show with Al Joe and I am Joe. I know, it's hard to believe. I'm a woman. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> So, we've got something going on here, and let's talk a little bit briefly. we got the phone number here, 714-242-5145. That's 714-242-5145. Remember, this is not a toll-free call, though if you don't have a cell phone, you will be charged with a call. But you can, I, we're more than happy to have you call. But remember, it's a manned space that we're talking about. Okay, so, you know, just, you know, keep it relevant, and otherwise, you know, give us a call, I'm more than happy to talk about uh, anything that has to do with van space, past, future, or otherwise, in between space and time, we don't care, as long as it's man space. <laughs> no, we got Al over there, he's still tap, tap, tapping, I'm not sure what he's doing, That he's, maybe he's letting everybody know, hey, we are on live. This is K-Rod Radio, and what do we got going on here? Let me do a little business first. I know, such a bummer, but that's how to happen. Okay, so we got a show tomorrow, so here it comes. Here it comes to. Why don't you come on out to the Hey Girls Americana Radio Show, hosted by Song River and Carol Pacey of Carol Pacey and the Honey Shakers. All coming to you live on KWOD Independent Internet Radio, broadcasting from the Ice House Tavern in Phoenix, Arizona. All sound recorded and mixed by Vintage Note Records. So come on out, check out the show, and then visit the website at blogtalkradio.com backslash KWOD radio. We'll see y'all out there. This K Rod Radio, and then that is our show for tomorrow night. We're going to be on live with the Hey Girl Show, 8 p.m. 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Our usual time every other uh, fourth Monday of the night of the of the month. And tomorrow we have Upper Strata as the band of choice, and of course we also have a special guest. So definitely, uh, if you can't. If you can't come down to the show, which is right downtown Tempe. Oh, well, actually, not downtown Tempe. It's actually down from downtown. But definitely come on out. And if you can't come on out, then definitely, you know, right here around K-Road Radio, you can listen to it internationally. So we don't care where you live. So we just welcome you. And now it's 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, by the way. Uh, we just got back from DevCon um, out at ASU West, and we have to thank all those out there, except for maybe one person. But, hey, you know, uh, we'd like to say thanks to all those who came by our table and say hello to us and bought a book. 
never specialize those with audiobooks, so yeah. And we, so they were at DEF CON last weekend, and before that, we were at, I was at two sound festival books, got a nice sunburn, and sold a couple of books, and made some business, so uh, that was an interesting weekend down in Tucson. What am I doing next weekend? I'm always doing something. So tomorrow is the Hate Girl Show, and then on Saturday the 28th, which is next Saturday coming up, is Laughing Moon Con. And that's by my good friend and author, Todd Van Hooser. And that is out at Desert Edge High School. And way on the other side of the world to me, which is in Goodyear. And, of course, I'm in Mesa, so it's on the other side of the world. And we'll be out there all day. Um and having fun from 10 in the morning. And then Geek Day at Phoenix Film Festival. We are going to be out um, doing shows and showing books. And that's on Sunday, March 29th. And that is going to be at... I'll give you a map here. As soon as, as, soon as it pops up. <laughs> no, that's not the right one. Okay, there we go. Sasiel 101, 7000 East Mayo Boulevard. And that is in the shopping mall area. Of course, there's a mall, uh, there's a, a movie theater there, Harkins. And we will be in that area vicinity doing the Geek Day out there. So I'd like to thank them for having us out. Again, that'll be our second year that we've been out there. And then we'll be at uh, Bonnie Books on uh, April 4th, uh, or at least some of our authors will be, uh, from 10 in the morning. And that will be at Lo-Fi Coffee, downtown Mesa. So they'll be coming out and have some fun there. Got the Earthsea book coming out. Got launched then, April 2nd. And that book's done, so we're so happy to have that one. So, here's how this works. <laughs> For those who haven't listened to our show before, um, Al has, off, has given us, and every every time we do a show, he gives us all of the all the different uh, websites, information of where he finds these things, and we put them up on the chat, so just below the information about the show. As he's talking about them, I offer the link, so it's a live link usually. Uh, if it's not a live link, we'll tell you so, and then uh, he'll tell you about the link, and we'll go on, keep moving. So when you're done, um, you can be able to copy the whole thing into a different file and be able to listen to it at your leisure, of course. And I just lost Al for a minute. So we'll keep on going. Stretch it out. Stretch it out. So that's what we got coming up in April. Yeah, we got a couple things with Bonnie Books. A brand new bookstore out of Queen Creek. On the 
April 18th, we are also, of course, I teach the Publishing and Marketing Meetup Group from 1230 to 2.30. So if you go under uh, East Valley Writers Group, you are um, for the Meetup Group, you will find out more information about the Publishing and Marketing Meetup on the 18th. Let's click on that one and find out what we're doing. Everyone knows I don't know yet. <laughs> so, we got something going on. Uh, we always have things going on. Uh, next month um, in April, we'll do Labor Party and Batter Suitcases. There's going to be the Hey Girl Show on April 27th. Again, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. And we'll be out at Kingman Kabam Book Festival. That's in Kingman, Arizona, May 2nd. Are we ready? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry awesome. about that one. Answer calls. you got to answer the phone. Yeah, true. Answer calls. you got to answer the phone. Otherwise, they leave a really no, nasty no, voicemail. No, no, no. We don't even. <laughs> don't even. I've already been there with you. Don't even want to know. Oh. I, I, I do have a have a knack for making things a little on the uncomfortable side, don't I? Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually have some interesting links tonight as we get down to the participation point. Um, there, there's been some cute little things come up, uh, but we're going to start with our typical uh, uh, startup. We're going to start on the NASA news. And um, engineers uh, at uh, JPL in Pasadena have been developing cutting-edge technologies that would enable spacecraft to land at a specific location on Mars or any other planetary body with more precision than ever before. Now, in collaboration with massive space systems in Mojave, California, they've recently tested these technologies on board a high-tech demonstration vehicle called the Autonomous Descent and Ascent Powered Flight Testbed, ADAPT for short. Now, quite honestly, for any of you who've been following uh, Mass and Aerospace and Armadillo and uh, a few others as part of the Google X Prize. These tests uh, parallel what's been going on at Google X Prize. Uh, of course, the first, the idea of a contest for the first manned ship to get to the moon, send a rover out, and then come back. So this is this is uh, exciting news uh, from Mastin and from NASA. Uh, Culberson. Senator Culberson announces protection for lunar orbiter Mars rover missions. Now, the chairman of the House Appropriations Subcommittee that funds NASA said March 17th that he would protect two NASA planetary missions whose futures were placed in jeopardy by the administration's fiscal year 2016 budget request. Representative uh, John Culberson from Texas, chairman of the Commerce, Justice, and Science Subcommittee, and these guys come up with really long, stupid names. <laughs> Man. But he said your mama did, huh? Yeah. Anyway, Senator, um, Representative Culbertson said at a Space Transportation Association event here that he opposed a move by NASA zero to zero out funding for the LRO, Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, and the Mars Orbiter Opportunity Missions in his 2016 budget request. Jack caught the article. He talks a little bit more in detail about what he's proposing. Um, and there's a lot to keep up with when you look at the politics and the maneuverings that are indeed going on with NASA and her budget. 
Now, also from NASA, we have a report, our Antarctica-based crew to stim simulate space travel experiences. Now, a crew of scientists living in Antarctica will simulate spaceflight during a long, cold winter to better understand how humans adapt to long space voyages. I'll hold commentary till later. The Antarctica experiment at Halley Research Station is designed to help researchers understand how well crew members remember certain skills during a nine-month mission that somewhat resembles a flight to space. For example, some of the crew will be trained on how to dock a Soyuz spacecraft to the ISS before starting the mission. And there are some other similarities. Well, I think that would be a smart thing to do. You know, to have... Oh, okay. To have... You know, to actually teach them how to do certain things before they have to get up there might be a wise thing to do. Well, yeah, but you have to remember this is the south. This is the South Pole Research Station that they're doing this at. Yeah. So these are guys that um, are already at the station. Scientists that are already doing other research and working on um, other projects, such as. I believe this is the Halley Research Station. I don't know that this is the station that has the, um, oh, what's it called? Hydroponics Garden Station. Oh. And I think that's a different station. Yeah. But the very stations that, that are. Good. They use the same station. Well, yeah. You know, they got to build a whole new one. Mm -hmm. Well, where is that? Well, you know. Like the city utilities. Hmm. <laughs> well, you got to spread the work, spread the work around. Uh -huh. But anyway, check out that article. It's it, it's an interesting read. Um, significant challenges threaten NASA's space launch system launch schedule. Government inspectors said this week that NASA's unorthodox development method is posing significant challenge to its plans to launch the spa new space launch system. In November of 2018, that date is already a delay from Congress' original mandate for the new deep space rocket to be ready in 2017. Most of the potential for missing the target rests in NASA's original decision to develop the booster. The spaceship astronauts will ride in and the improved new launch facility in Florida at the same time under different management teams. The booster is being developed by the Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville and a significant percentage of the city's uh, aerospace workers are employed on the project. And, of course, they go into detail on several points on this. And, you know, we all know NASA, one of the things that NASA has been for several of the senators is basically a jobs program for several companies and so forth around the country. And a lot of these senators and representatives are very uncomfortable with the idea that budget cuts are forcing them to make choices that may impact the jobs in these various states. So they're very jealously guarding these things. So some of these issues, these these challenges, uh, are likely to be addressed very soon. Uh, not by not only by these uh, congressmen, but but by many of the companies working uh, with NASA. Now moving over to new space or private space, as some are calling it. Um, there's an article on how SpaceX and Elon Musk could conquer the market for military satellite launches. Now SpaceX has been launching civilian payloads into orbit for some time. But the company has its eyes on much more lucrative prize, putting military satellites in space for the Air Force, and thanks to a strange confluence of circumstances, yeah, like suing the Air Force for permission, um, 
its pursuit of that goal could give it an effective monopoly over those missions, according to Republican lawmaker. Here's how. Now, SpaceX's biggest rival in the uh, space launch industry these days is ULA, or United Launch Alliance. Now, this is a joint venture between uh, Goliath, Lockheed Martin, and Boeing. Now, ULA has been the dominant player in Pentagon space launches for years, putting up all kinds of sensitive GPS and communication satellites for the military that's used to direct troops and gather intelligence. Now, one of the things is, is the bottom line is, is that the Air Force is somewhat cost-conscious, and they're not immune to the idea of a better deal coming down the pike. And so the bottom line is, is that, you know, SpaceX, with its uh, very strong business model for space development, and the idea of having goals beyond the mission. Um, what a concept. Yeah, it, it's really pushing I development. Mean, what were they thinking actually having real business goals? Yeah, I mean, come on, guys. you got to play with the old boys here. <laughs> also, SpaceX made a new announcement this past uh, week or so, and that is SpaceX photos are now available under Creative Commons license. Following a launch last month that was operated by SpaceX but paid for by NASA, we wondered who owns the photos taken on the mission. And what do we lose when a company starts to own many of the photos taken in space? Since the beginning of the space age, most photos we have of space, and most of the photos taken from space off the years were taken by NASA. Now, NASA is a government agency, so those photos go into what's known as the public domain, meaning they can be used by anyone for any purpose, including commercial ones. But what we're finding now is that apparently SpaceX has released under Creative Commons many of the photos that are being taken by them of both launches and uh, activities in space. That's good to know. That's very good to know, especially when, when many of us have been sharing uh, photos across uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and it, it'll be gratifying to know that it's, it's actually okay to sell it to... Uh, as a publisher, I, sure I applaud that. Well, sure. Thank you. I mean, it's not like they're not making enough money elsewhere. That's for sure. <laughs> now, another thing, again, we, we've seen some of the things that the SpaceX engineers get to use in uh, designing things. And, you know, they've got some simulations to, de to design the rocket that will take us to Mars and basically, in the, in the article, they talk about how to eventually get to Mars, SpaceX is designing a totally new type of rocket engine, one that runs on methane instead of kerosene, like SpaceX's existing rockets. Now, it's no easy task, of course, so researchers at the company have designed one of the world's most advanced construct combustion simulations to digitally test new designs of what will be the most powerful rocket ever created. Now... Methane rockets have been tested by NASA, but they haven't been used to actually go to space, let alone Mars. Designing a new rocket isn't easy, and it's really, really expensive, but it's cheaper and faster if you run through bad designs quickly using a computer simulation. Now, they've put photos on here. There's, there's a couple of videos that show how some of these simulations actually flow. Um, it's an interesting read, particularly for engineers, as you'll appreciate um, the geek speak and, and all the tech techno jargon that's in there, but it, it's definitely intriguing, and I'll tell you what, I expect to see some of those simulations show up on um, visualizations and some of the music drivers. You remember some of those? Yeah. 
had some great visualizations in the early years. Haven't had too many cool ones lately, but uh, these these reminded me a lot of that. I, I could see putting these type this type of math into some of those simulations, some of those uh, things. So definitely some of the cool stuff SpaceX been coming up with. Um, Bigelow Aerospace, inflatable habitats ready for the space station trip. I personally uh, have been looking forward to this for uh, several years since Bigelow announced Genesis 1 and 2 up in orbit back in 06 and 07. But they have a new inflatable addition to the International Space Station, is ready for its close-up. NASA officials viewed the Bigelow Aerospace Bigelow Expandable Activity Module, or otherwise called BEAM, at the company's facility in Vegas uh, back in March. Now, in the middle of March. Now, BEAM is scheduled to depart later this year for NASA's Kennedy Space Center Center in Florida and then blast toward the station atop SpaceX's Falcon 9 booster. So check out the article, some cool pictures. Um, it really looks kind of weird being all folded up like it is, ready for, for transport. <coughs> it doesn't it doesn't look like something really cool. I mean it looks like another like a like a big fat round parachute backed up to go. So but anyway, so check that article out. It, it it's cool. There's a um, is this Yeah. Also from SpaceX, we have some co uh, little commentary. Uh, SpaceX, no one laughs anymore when they talk about colonizing Mars. When Elon Musk founded SpaceX way back in 2002, the plan was to colonize Mars. The company is now profitable. America's number one choice for flying astronauts to the International Space Station. And thinking about a satellite-based Internet to connect the world but all of these are stepping stones for the Mars plan, which is very much still the focus of the company. We're not shy about talking about Mars, which would be an extraordinary step for humans to actually have a settlement there. Uh, Gwyn Shotwell from SpaceX says Tuesday, the whole company is geared up on that. Everybody's eye is on the red planet. And, of course, they go into a little bit more detail of some of the conversation and some of the plans that they have. Now, SpaceX and Google help fuel new space race bonanza. SpaceX and Google are helping ignite a new space race that will fuel billions of dollars in revenue and has attracted a big infusion of venture capital funding. Google and Fidelity Investments upped the ante in January with the $1 billion investment in SpaceX, which gave the rocket ship maker a valuation near $10 billion. That same week, San Francisco-based Planet Labs, a maker of many satellites, announced that it raised $95 million from venture capital firm Data Collective, raising its total funding to $160 million. We've seen many waves of commercial space investment in the last two decades, but this time is different, said Carissa Christensen, managing partner at Defense Space and Technology Consulting Firm, the Tauri Group. We're now seeing unprecedented levels of success with this current wave. That's going to be interesting if they're able to pull off uh, the satellite Internet satellite web, but I have to have to say I think I saw a number of around 4,000 satellites from the SpaceX group alone, and you know we've got already a pincushion state up in orbit. Yeah. You know we we actually published an article some uh, well last year I think it was in the Wad newspaper yes, we that uh, we borrowed a photo a off the web with yeah. a picture that showed just how peppered uh, orbital space is with not only satellites and, and things doing real work, but also all of the space junk that's up there 
And we do cover articles every once in a while where um, the space station has to lightly shift out of the way. Jiggity jog this way, jiggity jog that way to avoid space debris. Jiggity jog? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really wonder, you know, like how much word. fun they're going to have. Now, I also did say in the same vein as the announcement that said some to the tune of 4,000 satellites up there, these are also very small satellites, and their orbit is also very shallow. In other words, they're not going to be up as high as even the space station. So, but again, I, I want, it makes me wonder what the, the uh, trash level is up there. Guys. Yeah. So, and, and I'm sure they'll, they'll factor that in, but it, it really makes me wonder, you know, if SpaceX is going to be ramping up launches. Well, she sent uh, a couple of guys up there just to shoot the puppy <laughs> Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> you know, that's actually not a bad idea. That'd be fun. You know, if you, you could use a gun. Of course, the spacesuit gloves won't fit inside the trigger housing. Oh, Yeah. I'm sure and some, you wouldn't want to use a Gatling gun. I'm sure some entrepreneurial type will come up with some ideas. <laughs> it would have to be a reactionless weapon so that there's no pushback against the station. Because you shoot more than once in maybe 10 or 15 minutes, you're going you're gonna to lightly push at the space station. Mm -hmm. So, But, oh well, hey, you know, target practice, I can, I can see that happening. We could be a ping pong. On the, one of those no, that wouldn't paddle be boards, you know? No, so see, that would create all sorts of vibration <laughs> on the space station. Yeah, you know, no, no, see, your ideas are getting all wacky again. Okay, <laughs> give it a rest, woman. Um, Virgin Galactic a opens weekend. a new rocket plant uh, to build satellite launchers. Now, they opened their latest commercial space flight facility this month to build a brand new rocket capable of launching small satellites in orbit. In a ceremony on March 7th, Virgin Galactic unveiled its 150,000 square foot plant to be the home base for the firm's new Launcher One. Check out Richard, the article. Sir Richard Branson. Sir. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. You got the hots for the old guy. Um, but I believe he's married, I think. Okay. Yeah, you wouldn't. <laughs> All right, old cougar that you are. Or actually, he's older than you are, so that'd make him the cougar. I say, hey, you want to get a drink? Yeah, that makes you the cougar right there. <laughs> uh, Praying on unsuspecting men. Oh, yeah, like he doesn't get it all done. Well, here's something near and dear to our hearts. In related technology tonight, we talk about 3D printing just got 100 times faster. Yeah, I heard that. Um TheAtlantic.com offers this article that, that shares that you know that scene, and, and I love the, the imagery here. You know that scene in Terminator 2 when the T-1000, that, that oh, man, she was hot, too. That uh, T-1000 emerges from the shallow pool of metallic liquid. Or no, that wasn't the, the babe. That was that was the guy that ended up being in series this later. Um, it's a classic. It's also what is. I just totally ruined all those guys. All those young guys yeah, like, I know. Well, that was the third about? one, I think. That was the third one. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. it's a classic scene. It's also what inspired researchers at the University of North Carolina and North Carolina State University to rethink the mechanics of 3D printing. So, what do they do? Instead of printing objects by stacking thin layers on top of one another, a process that can take days, depending on what you're printing. They built a device that produces a complete object from a pool of goop. 
Hey, you got to check out the photo on this. It, it was it was intriguing it's to me. Oh, Yeah. What a concept. It's well, like but, but you know. Yeah, well, yeah, kind of, sort of. Well, it's like Grace Yeah, kind of, sort of. But, you know, I'm going to harken back. This actually isn't a new idea. I mean, if they're using metal, that may be. But I do recall several years back, one of the earliest 3D printing techniques um, used wax. And what it was is, is that you, you, your your table actually sat um, in a pool of hot wax, and a laser shined down and solidified the wax at a certain point, and your table actually dropped with the the object that it was that was being printed. And this was this was the way that they started doing, it. and and then, and then they went to the idea of depositing only what you need. Uh, with the lower price printing, but so this fast method actually may be a little bit more expensive, but it is way faster. So there's there's some cost time change out here right, that right. could make it just as well, profitable that's, as the that's, others. That's always how you know. Right. How we work with technology. Oh yeah, Dif different ways of doing the yeah. same thing, and I think that, that that's that's the kind of thing that we really need to see, and that's exciting about the space things as we see SpaceX doing things way different than the old man's club, ULA, that's been doing it the same way for 40 years. It's, it's really exciting, uh, this demonstration of um, alternative technologies. Um, we're into our first half hour, so let's, let's take a break. And uh, station identification. And we'll rehash a few of the uh, activities come up. Then, then we're going to our commentary section. Well, I already went to that. Okay. Um, I am, had already put up two of the same uh, links. So apologize about that. We're talking that part of the commentary and the humor done there. Uh, let me go back and see what it happened to. But we'll take just a, just a couple of minutes for okay. station identification. I'll remind everybody that our call-in no, number. I'm sorry, that is right. Yeah, good. See? See, yeah, you're not as flaky I, as you thought you were, girl. I'm not, a, I'm not so inept. There you go. <laughs> I'm glad about that. Oh. Our call-in number is uh, 714-242-5145. Uh, give us a call. Let us know what you think. Uh, joining the conversation as we jump into our commentary in the next half hour. And we'll see you in a few moments. And I'll turn it back over.
This is KWOD Radio, and this is an Alan Joe show. And we are talking about the next space. Next space, space, space. We're on the commentary section, and after that, we'll be at the opportunity to participate. So let's get right into the. I'll hand it off to Al. Welcome back. This is, this is the next space on KWOD Radio on the internet. International. Uh, we're international. We are available to anybody who wants to connect. <clears throat> Checking out some interesting, uh, interesting stuff. Um, you know, I was actually somewhat astounded this week uh, as we come into our commentary section. The amount of, um, actually, the attacks that have hit Mars One this month. Yeah. Um, they announced, March 1 announced just this month that the, of the candidates' applications that they had received, uh, build the news sources is up to 200,000 people applying. Yeah. Um, but they've been taking a lot of flack this week, mostly uh, from a couple of, of people, one of which is uh, Joseph Roche, a former NASA researcher and now assistant professor at Trinity College, one of the hundred finalists. Now, he re- uh, revealed huge problems he was seeing in the application and finalist selection process to a journalist named Elmo O'Keefe, who wrote about Roche's Roche claims, not Roche's, Roche, Mr. Roche's claims, in the online magazine Matter, M-A-T-T-E-R. Roasted roaches? Uh, now, come on, be nice to the guy. I mean, this guy's coming out. He's literally coming out and talking about his experiences in well, applying. I would like to know why it took him so long. Well, in, in the article, it talks about the fact that there is a confidentiality clause. Which apparently is totally throwing out the window right now. Well, to a point, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and if his accusations... Are proved to be legitimate. He's got some serious concerns, and and they they make a lot of sense with with the material that he's proposing and and the stuff that he's offering and the questions he's asking. These are all legitimate questions that Mars One is not answering. So um, the next item that we come up is Mars One finalist explains exactly how it's ripping off its supporters. And again. Um, Wow. This is also another article uh, from uh, another person named Joseph. Yeah. This is a different finalist, a guy named Joseph, who's sharing with the journalist uh, concerns or at least talking about Mars One. Now, also, another article from Gizmodo talks about how Mars One is broke, disorganized, and sketchy as hell. Uh, The mega-hyped one-way ticket go to go start a colony on Mars assumes it could get a ship and funding and capable colonists and training facilities and the major technological advances necessary to make it happen. Surprise, according to one finalist, the whole thing is pretty much a scam. And of course, this article also refers back to uh, uh, Joseph Rush. Um, And so a lot of things going on. and then also another article says more bad news. Mars One is almost completely in, uninsurable. Um, 
you know, that's what you pray? Well, yeah, but, I mean. I mean, you're going to freaking Mars. Well, yeah. Mars what, 1. What insurance is, company is going to cover you? Right. This article, it comes from Popular Mechanics. Uh, Mars 1 is a grand plan to beat the big names in aerospace to the first manned mission to the Red Planet. But the chances of the dream ever getting off the ground appear to go slimmer by the day, especially after an insider revealed some more of the organization's troubles just this past week. Now, Mars One doesn't have a proven spacecraft or a clear plan to sustain its human habitation on Mars. But here's another problem, perhaps one you hadn't thought of, and that's dogging this mission. Mars One would be almost impossible to ensure. And you know... I really wonder why, in the first place, would you insure a one-way trip? Where is the logic in that? That's what I mean. I mean, why why would you try to insure that type of thing? Exactly. If they fail, they fail. Now, um, I could see setting up life insurance policies on the settlers that would go to beneficiaries if the mission fails and they do die. I mean, that would make good sense. Right. You you would want to at least address families who would want some repercussions yeah. if they're as sure, so they're going to get make out something. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it, if they can, but I, I still have a problem with the whole insurance thing on yeah, the space mission. You know, I mean, come on, give me a break. <laughs> um, so as as and and then now and in our last point as we get into the commentary, an aspiring Martian defends Mars 1 on YouTube after a very bad week. Now, no one said going to Mars was going to be easy, so it's hardly to be surprising that Mars 1 has now delayed its whole time frame by two years. Over the last week, however, the private not-for-profit mission to colonize Mars has been facing a more terrestrial problem, bad PR, and boy, have they gotten a load of it this week. Um, actually, this, last, this whole last half of the month, first half of the month, they've been hammered. Now, Mars 1 candidates took to medium to refute the allegation that Mars One is pay-to-play, which was one of the complaints that uh, Joseph Roche brought out. Um, the company still has 10 years to sort out all of all this out, they said, even if it were a scam. It is unclear who is profiting. Mars One astronaut candidate Ryan McDonald also took to YouTube to correct Keep's article with the video above titled, 10 Reasons Mars One is Not a Scam, from his armchair in front of his DVD library. McDonald takes on Roche's claims about payment and non-disclosure agreements. He doesn't address that the mission might not be possible. So check out his 10 reasons. But as far as as far as far commentary, you know, it was expected that at some point there was going to be a reveal. And if Mars One wasn't prepared for that, then that, was, that was a goof. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, and, and, and honestly, I think I think the Mars One organization, such as it is, got caught with its pants down yeah. by not being prepared when somebody decides to, to take well, flight. Well, if they make false claims, then they know they must eventually pay the piper. Mm-hmm. So, I'm bother making it better than what it is. That's my question. Well, to address many of the, the, the claims between the groups and, and some of the articles, the first thing that really hit Mars One uh, late last month was the MIT study that said, basically, that the settlers on Mars were going to die basically within 68 days from 
Too much oxygen. Yeah, I know you told me about that. Um, so there you, is a you, simple do solution you think that for that. These people who are finalists might get be getting a little worried, um, and so they want to blow the whole idea. I, I don't know about that. I think there's a lot of positive feeling about Mars One. I think there's a sense that okay, they've got ten years to work out these issues. Um, although I really wonder about some of these things. Well, perhaps, um, perhaps bad publicity is good publicity in this particular case. It very well may be. Um, if if Mr. Lansdorp can recover enough to provide sufficient documentation that says they're working on it or they're addressing this tech or that they're looking at these kind of things, these are legitimate issues. And, and I have to admit, you know, although in Mr. Lansdorp's defense, he is probably the only one to have gone this far before he got attacked. Um, I know that uh, Robert Zubrin has been pushing um, Mars Drive, Mars Direct for many years, yeah. albeit his vision is not nearly as advanced, at least as far as I can tell, uh, in the details as Mr. Landstorp's. But even so, Mr. Landstorp didn't, doesn't seem to have followed up on any research for a lot of these components. It seems at times as if he saw SpaceX develop uh, this thing, the SpaceX did the reveal of the seven-person capsule, and Mr. Landstorp got the idea, said, hey, cool, that's a great capsule, and it can land on Mars because of the way it's designed, and bada-bing, bada-boom, bam, we can, we can settle Mars with these capsules. And, you know, even this armchair astronaut knows that the hydroponics unit that they've presented has flaws. The capsules are not designed from SpaceX the way that Mars One wants to use them. There are serious modifications that would have to happen to the uh, uh, SpaceX Dragon V2 craft almost to a full third version in order to do what Mr. Landstorp wants to do um, and to have the access into the various components. If you just look at the photo on their website, there are some serious modifications that would have to happen. In addition, um, there's just not a lot of detail on what what they want to do or how they want to apply this. And, you know, there's there's been another voice begin to assert itself in the industry recently and that is, is that um, people are beginning to ask, what um, what is space research, space flight doing for us on this planet? Now, many for many years we've talked about. Um, don't go there. Not yet. Uh, right now. Not yet. Um, there. There is more and more questioning about what spaceflight research is doing for us here on Earth. There has been a litany of people talking about, well, the cell phone was inspired by Star Trek. And that's loosely spaceflight. Star Trek was somewhat, in, or at least NASA and Apollo, inspired to a certain degree um, the idea of 
uh, Star Trek. There were uh, a whole host of technologies such as the space pen that supposedly came from NASA's efforts and questions. Um, there are a lot of the GPS satellites that are said or claimed to have come through the research that NASA made. Um, so there is there is benefit that people want to see from spaceflight. And as taxpayers, I can understand that, yeah, we, we need to see some return on investment. Now, when Mars One comes along and says, hey, we're going to go to Mars and we're going to Mars to stay and to settle, that implies that there are technologies that may or may not be useful here on Earth. And in fact, many conversations I've had about spaceflight recently at conventions and, and things like this, people increasingly are asking, well, why should we settle space or the planets or the moons if we can't get it right here? And many of these concerns are legitimate. I mean, California just this past uh, week and a half, there was an article that talked about they are in a severe drought to the point that they're wondering if they're going to have fresh water in the coming months or year. Where is that? California. The state, most of their reservoirs are way down. Their groundwater is being depleted at a supposedly massive, massive rate. Um, but even, even so, California isn't the only state that's experiencing um, freshwater problems. I remember I was doing research for my book several months back, and I ran across an article um, that talked about, and, and if you want to find this article, I don't, I don't remember where it was, but Google water consumption in America, and that will give you a, a, an idea. And I, I, the article was, was astounding in what it was purporting, that the general consensus is that the average American uses between 50 and 100 gallons of water a day. And, and, and the words were that we consume between 50 and 100 gallons a day per person. And I just, I, I sat back and that just, that just walloped me upside the head like it, it felt like a baseball bat. And so I, I, it really got me concerned. And, you know, I did more research and more research and I started looking up other articles and things like this. And yeah, most of these numbers are based on the statistics, based on the various different water pressures in most cities. The, uh, for many people, the lack of low-flow water he uh, shower heads, um, the fact that we use high-flow toilets still in, in most areas because they're older homes, so nobody's retrofitted them with low-flow toilets, low-flow faucets, low-flow shower heads. So there's a lot of water going down the drain in the country. Yeah. And it got me thinking. And so I, I took a shower one day, and, I, and I've done this twice. Um, just to be curious, I wanted to find out how much water I was using. Because the Dagon article said that people use as much, in some situations, as 20 gallons of water to take a shower. I'm sitting there. I've seen what 20 gallons of water looks like. It's huge. And given that water weighs a little over 8 pounds per gallon, that's, 160, that's as much water as I weigh plus some. That's a lot of weight. I know some women don't weigh that much. <laughs> I 
Um, and so the idea that I'm using up that much water in a shower really got me thinking. So I, I, I did an experiment. <laughs> Uh, and basically it goes like this. In my shower, uh, before I turn the water on to, to get in, I put the plug in the bottom of the tub, and I turned the shower on. I took a normal shower. I didn't think about the time so much. I'm sure I did a little bit. But I, I really didn't, and I took a leisurely shower. took me about 10 minutes, give or take. Now, we have, I, I'm going to have to admit that we probably have a low-flow shower head. But I'm willing to say that our, our water pressure here is pretty solid. Yeah. This is this is no measly eight to ten gallons per per minute water pressure here. So we've got a decent decent water flow. So I take my shower, and I had before I got in and the shower, I brought in a gallon jug milk jug that I had rinsed out and let dry for a day, and and a cup, basically a paper cup that I could bend down and get the water out. And so I start scooping out the water into the water into the gallon jug, and as I fill each gallon jug, I pour it off into the toilet, and I'm counting as I go. Six gallons of water for my shower. That's what I used, and I didn't just test this once; I did it twice. The second time, I ended up with about six gallons and one quart of water. So that's 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 pretty close. So I think there's something to be said um, about questions of people making claims based on statistics. And we've known for years that polls, even though they say there's a plus or minus uh, derivation of between 1% and 3%, you know, i, I got to wonder, statisticians, they're, they're playing with the frickin' numbers. And I think that the engineers who put out some of these articles to talk about um, how much water we consume, I think they're fudging the numbers as well, either because they want to scare us or because they really want us to start conserving. I don't know what the motivation is, but something's not right here. And the pictures that people are painting for us really draw some serious questions. Which brings us back to Mars 1. Which brings us back to Mars 1. If... The projections that are being made are based on the theory side of things, where they're using uh, statistical calculations to say that within 10 years, we're going to have this and this and this and this. Um, we got a problem, because statistics don't always bear out. Yes, generally and loosely, you can apply statistics to many problems right, and get a general supposition. Yeah, but not when money or insurance or human lives are at stake. Statistics are a bad way to plan a business. Um, you can do forecasting in business, and, and many businesses do this successfully. But you've got to be careful when you are putting human lives up in on the basis of statistical analysis or manu uh, mathematical calculations. There needs to be a solid foundation of empirical testing that goes along with that mathematical calculations to say, yes, based on this research, we can extrapolate this. And I'm not seeing that with Mars 1. I really am not. Um, the Dragon version 2 is still an untested craft. I mean, it's, it's, it's done a launch test. 
I believe there they've either just completed or are scheduled for a launch abort test. Uh, but there are still questions to be answered on the craft. Uh, confidence is high, mine among them, that they will succeed. This is SpaceX after all. Um, the Orion capsule has gone up and come back safe, uh, safely in uh, meeting its design specifications. So all signs look good. But the fact of the matter is Mars One does not have a connection to SpaceX. They do not have a contract. They do not have hard science to back up what they're proposing. Also, their business practices are now coming into light. They're coming into question. So this does not bode well. So keep this in mind, folks, as we look at Mars One and we see how this plays out. There are many questions, but Mr. Landstorp does have another 10 years before they're planning on actually getting towards that launch. So he may very well come up with the answers to many of these questions. He may not, but only time's going to tell. And for the short term, he needs to get busy and deal with the naysayers. He needs to start showing progress in areas that will facilitate, you know, bumping up his funding. Uh, last article I heard, he was a little above the $600,000 mark. The guy needs $6 billion. Yeah. He's like a couple of percentage points way short. Yeah. <laughs> and I know he's going to need funding to do some of the, some additional studies that are going to need to happen in order to, to do the preparation. So, yeah, there, there, there are some issues here. Um, and we'll come back to a couple of, of, of other topics uh, after we talk about our opportunities to participate. So stay tuned. Um, we've got some new stuff on opportunities to participate tonight, um, starting with um, this from NASA and SpaceX, for sure. Um, social media users have been invited to apply for credentials to attend the targeted April 10th launch of the SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket at uh, Space Launch Complex 40 at Cape Canaveral in Florida. Now, this is the next cargo supply to the ISS. If your passion is to communicate and engage the world by social media, then this is the event for you. Take the opportunity to be on the front line to blog, tweet, or Instagram everything about SpaceX's sixth commercial resupply mission to the space station. The rocket will deliver several tons of supplies, including new science experiments and technology research. Now, keep in mind, understand what you're getting into. You're putting the bill to get there and to get home. But they're giving, they're going to award credentials, which gets you in the close gate. This gets you the close-ups. This gets yeah. you the right to be in the circle, to get the first notices. So check it out, folks. This is an awesome opportunity to participate in manned space flight today. Um, we have several other opportunities we've been carrying with us on the program. There's the Kerbal Space Program. Download the game. Check out uh, what you can create and what other players do, are creating. It's still in beta. It's a it's an awesome thing, especially if you've got a little bit of, of um, hand-eye coordination and imagination. I, I tell you what, some of the stuff I've seen come out of there is pretty awesome. They got so the last three lengths people are the ones that, that were um, one that you just talked about. 
the, the Kerbal Space yeah. Orbiter yeah. is a program, for, I believe, I don't remember who came up with this. I want to say NASA, but I don't think it was. He's getting Orbiter up now. Yeah. Um, there's a free online games for all ages at uh, NASA Space Place Games. Uh, okay, everyone, that's taking me a couple minutes to get these up. She's so. playing catch-up, uh, so check them out. Um, also, we had space games on Congregate, K-O-N-G-R-E-G-A-T-E. Um, there's there's some fun games. A lot of these are Flash games, um, so they are Android-friendly, uh, but check them out. Uh, space games on Armor, uh, another game uh, play site. Dozens of vintage space games are now available online. We've got a, uh, a link there for you. Um, no floppy disk required. Also, space games on stream. If you're not afraid to pay a little for a game, check out their website and some of the things that they have available. And also for or Google for others, there's a couple of there's a Google search um, link you can try. Uh, we've also spotlighted space gift ideas out of this world gifts for him or her. Space gift ideas for kids, fun and educational ideas for the holidays. Um, and here's a new one for you folks. Check out the zero-gravity cocktail glass could be out of this world. Now, astronauts hoping to sip drinks in style may soon have an open-top cocktail glass to look forward to called the Zero Gravity Cocktail Project. The idea is to create an open-top cocktail glass that can be used in space in zero-G. Glass would use an innovative groove system that would keep the fluids under control and only release them when someone takes a drink. Now, do you remember the, the water experiment on the ISS that was on video? We watched that. Do you remember? Uh, that was pretty wild. The water looked like the blob from that old movie. Oh, yeah. It just stayed on his hands no matter what he did. He pulled his hands apart and the blob stayed together. It was really wild looking, kind of cool. Um, I believe that video is still up there on the NASA site. But this glass uses that uh, principle of surface tension in zero gravity that would then basically the water would kind of sort of stay attached to the glass and the grooves are tied together and give a way for the water to flow so that you could actually sip in zero G. Now, another new one that we've got tonight. Uh-oh. 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 Okay. Boom. Oh, my page went. Yeah, my page went wanky. Um, I'll get her back up here. Um, they have released, and we're providing the link, uh, for ThinkGeek.com, a planetary glass set. If you're drinking water out of these glasses, chances are some of those water molecules are older than the solar system depicted on the glasses. A study whose results were published September 2014 in Nature found that 30 to 50 percent of the water on Earth is irregularly high in deuterium or heavy water, a substance that could have been present in greater quantities in the protoplanetary nebula. Drink your primordial water from this set of 10 glasses. The glasses for the eight planets are identical in size. The sun's a little bigger than the rest, and Pluto's a little smaller than the rest. Yes, we said Pluto. We knew that'd make you happy. And, of course, that's a reference that Pluto was downgraded from a planet to a dwarf planet last, I think it was last year or the year before. 
Um, following up on, on one we've seen before, Celestial Suds. Well, yeah, between the planetary glass set or the um, the, the Kickstarter program for the zero G drinking glass, uh, both of those could be fun. And we have a newcomer brew. The Ooh. beer was brewed with yeast that's been to space. In uh, <laughs> space and back. In the hollowed halls of a crowded bottle shop, it can almost seem as though there are more craft beers. To space and beyond. There you go. On the market. Then there are stars in the sky. Still, you may want to make an effort to seek out Ground Control, a brew that's truly, no literally, stellar. Nikasi Brewing Company, based in Eugene, Oregon, founded the Nikasi Space Program in 2014 in an effort to push the outer limits of brewing. The goal to send yeast to space, recover it, and use it to brew some delicious beer. This April, the April 13th, Ninkasi will release the fruits of NSP's labor. Ground Control is an imperial stout brewed with Oregon hazelnuts, star anise, and cocoa nims, plus Apollo Bravo and Comet hops, and yes, yeast that's been to space. Uh, back a few months ago, they actually launched a rocket with yeast in it. It went up to space, came down fairly quickly, and then they grabbed that yeast and took it to the brewery and started brewing so the beer. So literally got a rise. <laughs> <laughs> they got twice the rise out twice of that the one. Rise out twice of the rise. Uh, but here's the thing to remember. When working with yeast, one of the problems has been, uh, in, in fact, trying to grow yeast here in the desert is problematic because it's so hot. Yeast really has a problem with the heat. So yeah. you got to keep it cool. Um uh, in addition, if you're going to launch a rocket with yeast on it, uh, you got to have a way to keep that yeast cool, not only to get it up into space, but then when it returns, yeah. which can be quite warm once it gets down closer to the lower altitudes, uh, if you're launching from uh, the southwest. Now, they're up in Oregon, so up in Oregon, it's, it's not a real problem uh, growing yeast. So... Definitely something to think about as we move forward. Lots of, it, it's kind of fun stuff. Um, now, NASA has uh, produced a game, uh, Asteroid Grand Challenge. We've, we've talked about that before. Uh, Hobbyspace.com has a blog entry about that. How to make a mini rocket ship at, at, with a match and some tinfoil. Again, an activity for the kids. Uh, all you uh, Scoutmasters and Cub Scout Den mothers, check these, this this out. Uh, here's one: make your own spaceship too. Other books, part of and other books, part of a new Virgin Galactic deal where they talk about how to create uh, little models uh, of uh, spaceship two and and other things. Uh, the Boy Scouts and the Boy Scout and Space Exploration is a merit badge program uh, that uh, blends many of uh, both astrology, uh, astronomy. Uh, navigation, uh, matching the stars, uh, different things like this with, with merit badges. Mars missions at Mars Society's two analog stations. In fact, I think it was last month I saw an announcement that, that they were calling for applications for next year's uh, MDRS missions, Mars Desert Research Station missions. Uh, that is actually something that you can apply to be part of. Um, the Mars Desert Research Station has uh, its 
uh, has a website. Um, and actually, you can apply for the 2014, 2015. By the way, go for the second one because the first one I actually have a little finger left. Uh -huh. There are, we've got uh, three links uh, out here. Now, last year, um, 2014 was a record year for the URC. They had a Mars rover competition out at the MDRS, uh, there, and I believe, I, I think, they're going to be holding a competition out there again this year. Uh, if not, I'm looking. I'm trying to keep up and figure out where the next uh, event will be held. Now, in addition to Mars One, we haven't heard a lot about Mars Inspiration in the past few months. So... Um, but they are another Mars mission, whittling applicants down to two to do a flyby. So they're working on fundraising. Uh, they're also a nonprofit. Uh, we provide a link to that one as well. Um, I'm going to take a take a break here. Uh, no, I want to talk about one more thing before we go. I've got an announcement and a couple of things. Um, We'll be right back. This is uh, Blog Talk Radio hosting the next space, manned space program for y'all. Give us uh, two minutes and we'll be back on the air. Radio, this is Next Space Show, and this is Alan Joe, and I am Joe, I know it's a surprise, and there's Al. Chewing my ice to stay hydrated, I tell you what. Oh, God's greatest gift to mankind. Well, second to women, but 
<laughs> ice. Soft, chewable, ice. Well, yeah, but you're pretty fussy about your ice. Yes, I am. Uh, yes, I am. It's got to be the really tiny cubes with a little bit of air bubbles running through them so that they're soft and chewable and oh, good stuff. Good stuff keeping you hydrated. We have uh, a wonderful announcement for everybody. Um, this show, The Next Space, is a direct outgrowth of a desire to get into space personally as well as vicariously through the many programs that we talk about and we follow on this uh, radio show. Um, in the last five years, I have been researching and following most of these programs, uh, including progress in spacesuits, progress in inflatable habitats, the International Space Station, and recording also different things and trends in our society today, such as tiny homes, uh, aquaponics, hydroponics, um, new and effective ways to grow food, uh, recycle water, um, even things like composting toilets and mushrooms and bamboo for construction materials. And I have recently completed my entry into the Space Vision Library. This is not a typical techie sketchy, let me rephrase that, this is not your typical sketchy, techy vision of uh, an engineered solution for settling space. Earthseed is the book, Earthseed Space Settlement in This Generation. When I say this generation, I'm talking those of us who grew up since Apollo, who sat in front of that TV 40 some odd years ago and watched Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin set foot on the moon for the very first time for humans. Earthseed, the book, is a methodology to settle six different destinations in our solar system. This is not a one-shot deal. This is a plan that would put us out there permanently, sustainably, without government money. I invite you to watch for our launch of the book on April 2nd. We'll be putting up the website, Facebook page, all of that goes up on April 2nd. And on that website, you will see not only the information about the book, but the various other projects that I've been working on, real projects with real results that I hope you'll join me with in ushering us to be able to move out into space for a permanent habitat. But that's only half of the process. Each of these projects in Earthseed have Earthside applications. These are things that many of which were developed here on Earth for use on Earth. And the wonderful thing about them is that when combined together, all of these elements offer a wonderfully possible way to open the frontier of space for homesteading. So on that note, check out the book link we're going to put up for you. It's available on Amazon now for pre-orders. And on April 2nd, we'll be making the final uh, thing. In book. The book will be available for sale uh, soon after. The website will be up. We'll have the Facebook up, and you can read all about project and the things that we've been working on 
to make this a reality. Come join us. And with that, folks, that closes our show for this week. Next week's going to be an interesting week. We'll be we'll be uh, taking part of our showtime next week to field calls and discussion uh, on the release of Earthseed, the book, and the website, and some of the questions that I know you're going to have. Uh, I look for some resounding, challenging conversations. We will see you again next week, same time, same space channel. Space channel. <laughs> Join same, us. Same bat time. Same moon time, same Mars time. We're going to have to work on that one. Yeah. Join us next week, folks, for the next space on KWAD Radio. Good night. This is KWAD Radio, and this is Howdy Hiltrin signing out for the day. You guys have a terrific week, and remember, next week is going to be Laughing Moon Con. And also on Sunday, the 29th, will be Geek Day at Phoenix Film Festival. Get out and enjoy some stuff around you because there's pop culture stuff going on all the time. So, you know, if you don't know where it's at, then you're not there. So, all the fuss is to, for you to see us there, you need to be there. That makes sense? <laughs> I wasn't listening. <laughs> she wasn't listening. So, with that, you guys have a great night. And, again, we'll be on tomorrow night with the Hey Girl Show, and that's a music show. That's an independent radio because we're fiercely independent radio show. You guys have a great night.